Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm Yes, Lord Yes All creation shakes At the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I am by nature not a contender against people. That's not something I want to do. However, I come to do this broadcast for the purpose of trying to ensure that you receive Jesus Christ in a way that will bring you into the kingdom of God. We live in a day of great deception and ignorance concerning what God demands of a saved people. For the past two weeks, people from all over the country have flock to a to a university in Kentucky, Asbury, to take part in what is being called a historic revival. They're now saying that as many as 50,000 people from around the world are arriving there because they want to participate in revival. And I'm going to be very plain because I must be. What is happening at Asbury in Kentucky is not true revival. Now, I listened to a nationally known pastor, a large ministry, very influential. And he said, this revival is the same as what happened at Azuzu Street. For those of you who don't know, it was the turn of the century. William Seymour, a a black pastor, went to California to preach on receiving the Holy Spirit. And the church locked him out, would not let him preach. So he went to a nearby home and there began praying, and others joined him in praying, and out of that sprang the revival at Azuzu Street that sparked the Pentecostal movement in America. What's happening at Asbury is not, it is not a revival as took place at Azuzu Street, and anyone who says it is, is simply ignorant, or deceived. 
I'm going to make that plain today. I want you to know what they believed, what their theological stance was at Azusa Street, because if we are going to see a true revival in America, it is this biblically honest position that Americans are going to have to take. And to take that position, they are going to have to enter into loud cries of repentance. We find in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, that is, once made mature, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, springing from that, I'm going to go to a very small volume by Pastor Jim Kerwin. You can find this entire volume free of charge on the Internet. The volume is The Rejected Blessing, an untold story of the early days of the Pentecostal movement by Jim Kerwin, K-E-R-W-I-N. I urge you to go on the internet, order a copy, or read it online. The Azusa Street Ministry, it began with a unified theological position. It flowed out of Wesleyanism with John and Charles Wesley. It's called entire sanctification. Sanctification is the biblical word used to describe the process by which God makes Christian men and women holy, that is, like God himself. The teaching of entire sanctification was crystallized in the 18th century by the Wesleyans. Now, many churches sprang and movements sprang out of that movement, and they likewise were in full agreement with John and Charles Wesley regarding the theology. Of course, the Methodist Church stood by the teaching of entire sanctification. The Salvation Army also stood solidly in this holiness position. The Church of the Nazarene, the Church of God, the Church of God in Christ, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, and many other denominations. I do want to say that one major denomination did not agree with the Wesleys, and they took a deceptive position regarding a sinning Christian. 
and that was the assemblies of God. Now, I want to read for you uh, Pastor Jim Kerwin's summation of what they believed at Azuzu Street. Now, you need to ask, is this what they believe at this Methodist college in Kentucky? And the answer is absolutely no. First, there was the belief that God is holy and that he commands his people to be holy, by which he means we are to be set apart for him alone and to be made pure in heart and to be made free from all sin. Number two, God in his grace and power provides the means for us to obey this commandment to holiness. And the means is so thorough that even it destroys the inbred sin nature or the old man or the carnal nature. This is where the doctrine takes its name entire. Since sin is dealt with at the root. Number three. While being free from the sin nature is important, it in no way implies instant maturity or towering spirituality. It leaves the believer for the first time in his life with the ability to not sin. Number four, the most important aspect of entire sanctification is that the heart's ruling passion is the love of God. The first and great commandment takes on another aspect altogether, that of the great fulfilled promise, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Number five. The scriptures depict sanctification as both a process and an event. That is to say, Christians by grace and obedience will grow in holiness, but there is a time when the soul encounters God and wrestles with this matter of inward purity. This is known by the Wesleyans as a crisis experience. That is, a crucial juncture in spiritual life were the Holy Spirit desirous to take the believer deeper and higher in the walk with Christ, convicts the believer of the need for inner purity. Let me stop for just a moment. This entire sanctification in no way is being spoken of as continuing to sin, but deciding not to sin anymore, to turn aside from sin. No, this is for people who are made holy, who are not walking in any known sin or rebellion against God. When God grants that purity, the time and place are just as knowable and recordable as one's experience of salvation. Hence the word instantaneous was associated with the experience. For although there was a process of sanctification leading up to it, And an ongoing process after the event, there was an instant when God, the Holy Spirit, 
made the heart pure and free from sin. Now, number six, because this crisis experience is almost always subsequent to a believer's salvation, it had additional terms, and I'm not going to give those. But what I want you to hear and know is that those men and women at Azusa Street were all in accord with this teaching of entire sanctification. Now, later, after the Azusa Street revival, a false pastor came in, and he and his followers adjusted it and made it more palatable to the American culture. I want to give you three steps of salvation that William Seymour believed. And if you disagree with me, go and look at the Azuzu Street papers. I have them. I've read them. And I'm telling you, they are full of this. Number one, they believed that salvation was possible, meaning to be turned entirely away from sin, to no longer walk in any known sin. They believed in regeneration, and they believed in water baptism. That's what they believed at Azuzu Street. Now, secondly, they believed in a crisis experience of entire sanctification, in which a believer received a pure heart free from any indwelling temptation to sin, making the believer an absolutely clean vessel ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, of course, the third is that William Seymour believed in the indwelling power and baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues and other manifestations. That's where this phrase came from. Bless God. I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. You may have heard that somewhere. That's where it came from. Now, I need to share this with you to be very clear that any revival that does not hold to this position of entire sanctification is not what God is calling for in our age and in our day. He is always going to call for a people who are pure of heart, who are made holy, who have utterly given themselves over to Jesus Christ. It will be marked by loud cries and tears 
as men and women are uncovered by the Holy Spirit and they see the reality of the condition of their own heart as they stand before a holy God. The cross will be revealed and they will see their filthiness. They will see their wickedness and they will have great sorrow and they will cry aloud to God to save them. And it won't be a a little simple ditty. It won't be a sinner's prayer. It'll be a life-changing experience where one crosses over from the world into Jesus. A true revival is a revival of holiness, of godliness. I've heard people say that at Asbury, the focus is on repentance. No, it's not. Because the belief at Asbury is still that you will always be a sinning Christian. That God loves you unconditionally. They have left the Methodist holiness teaching. It's no longer a part of their theology. And the result is the American church has been groomed by the devil for a false revival. A false revival that is spiritually uplifting, filled with the music, filled with feel-goodism, easy believism, no crucifixion, no dying out to sin. Now, please, I don't want you to be deceived by this kind of so-called revival. And it is now beginning to sweep America. It's spreading to other colleges and other universities and to churches because the American church has been taught You can never leave your sin. You're always going to be a sinner. But you can be a saved sinner because when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees himself. You're covered by God's grace. But grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So Jesus, during the days of his life on earth, would take time to go pray. And in those times of prayer, the scripture tells us he uttered loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. I want you to understand Romans, the sixth chapter, the last verse, says the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, the one sin resulted in their death. Now, righteousness does not come by way of the law. It comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. It comes as he puts into us, as he infuses into us, as he gives to us the gift of righteousness. 
and we totally depart and repent of all of our sin and our sinful ways, and we're washed and we're cleansed and we're made holy. That was the whole movement of Wesley. That was the whole movement of the Nazarene Church and other great movements like the Salvation Army. He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. In other words, you cannot belong to Jesus Christ and walk in the way of the world, the flesh, and the devil and think that you're saved. You can't have sexual perversion in the leadership of a movement and call that godliness. Now I want to take you over here to Romans, I'm sorry, Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Chapter five finishes up teaching about righteousness. And he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. This is chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 and 13. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Pastors in America need the Holy Spirit to come and teach them the elementary teachings of God's word of holiness and purity. You need milk, not solid food. And the American church is is all on milk, not solid food. And they're walking in sin and, and believing that they're saved. It says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It's necessary that we train ourselves. And you do that by reading the scriptures, by fasting and praying, uttering loud cries to God, weeping before him, dealing with your very heart. It's not clap, clap, happy, happy. It's not singing. No godly revival begins with singing. It begins with conviction brought by the Holy Spirit. Now, chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from ritual acts of Judaism is what it's talking about. 
Let's not have to keep talking about faith in God. Let's not have to keep talking about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. Those are all important subjects. But he's saying those subjects are not what will turn your heart. It is impossible, he says, for those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. What's he talking about? He's not talking about the immature man who keeps wavering in his sin. He's talking about that man or woman who has actually entered into the Holy Spirit and they have fellowshiped with Jesus. They have tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've walked in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if they fall away and they reject Jesus after having a full knowledge and a full understanding, then they can't repent. And there's an example of that if we go back here to the book of Jude. And I'm going to do that just so that you'll know what I'm saying is is accurate. Let me turn quickly. I should have marked it in my Bible, but I, but I apologize I didn't. In the book of Jude, the, he speaks in verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. And then he begins to speak about people in the church who are dreamers, who pollute their own bodies, who reject authority, who slander celestial beings. What I'm saying to you is, If you have really walked in the fullness of Jesus and you turn away from him, there's no longer any repentance left for you. You have rejected the very person of Jesus. He says, land, in verse 7, that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed, and in the end it will be burned. What's he talking about? The land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless. A man or woman who continues to walk in their sin, who does not have a clean and pure heart before Almighty God, that person will be burned in the end. Now, you can call a revival the singing revival. You can say, oh, people are earnest. Did they repent of their sin? Have they left their sin? Are they pure of heart? God sent the most powerful revival America has ever seen to Azusa Street. 
they had dealt with their sin. Have you dealt with your sin? Now, please, I have a twofold purpose for this broadcast. One, to create a framework for you to understand the requirements of God concerning your being saved. And secondly, I want you to be saved. I want you to be able to meet the requirements of salvation by the blood of Jesus. Now he says, we want you, verse 11, to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Look, let's cut right to the chase. Jesus is now available if you will truly repent of your sin. He will move in power as he did in Azuzu Street. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will revive your heart. And he will make you clean. And there is no way to enter into any so-called revival. There is no way to enter into heaven except by your being made clean. And part of what I know about many of you is that you have heard a great deal of Christian teaching and preaching. But you yet do not walk in that fullness. You still walk and make excuses for yourself with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And then along comes a spiritual renewal called a revival And now you can be inspired, encouraged, but no conviction that you have to leave all of your sin. And many of you have not turned away from all of your sin. You still are walking in league with the devil. You still have excuses for why you have not done what the Holy Spirit has called you to do. You still do not want to disown yourself. Now look, it's straight up and it's plain. Don't buy into any so-called revival that does not have loud cries and tears and repentance, true repentance, true confession of every aspect of wickedness in your heart. Now, I know 
I'm totally out of step with the modern church. I know that many of you will not be pleased by my saying these things, but it's not my job to please you. It's not my interest to be well-known or to be somebody. I have no desire for popularity. I only have one desire, and that is for the truth as it's found in Jesus Christ. That's my only interest. I'm not going to enter into argument with you. I'm not going to debate these issues with you. I don't have time. So you used to say in sales, okay, someone's waiting. If you don't agree with me, someone else is waiting. And I'm going to proclaim the pure, honest word of God as it was experienced and believed at Azuzu Street, which was the greatest outpouring of Holy Spirit power in modern history. Causes me great indigestion when I watch what's happening as I have for many hours at the so-called revival or the Asbury happening. In verse 17 of chapter 6, God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I'll speak tomorrow about Melchizedek. But today, I want you to know that God has by a promise and an oath encouraged us and enabled us to go into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus has gone on our behalf and made atonement for us. There is absolutely no excuse for sin. If there were an excuse for sin, it would cease to be sin. Now, some of you will argue that, no, just human nature is sinful. Well, did Adam and Eve have a sinful nature before they fell? No, they were pure, they were clean, but they were human. 
The cross of Jesus provided the way for us to come back to that place of cleansed purity before Almighty God so that we might become the bride of Jesus Christ. He's looking for a bride who does not have spot or wrinkle. You see, we want to judge what we believe by our experience. See, I can't judge whether what's happening at Asbury is right or wrong by my experience. I go there and I say, oh, I feel the presence of God here. Is that evidence that it's God moving? Absolutely no. The evidence that God is moving is true repentance to loud cries, submission to God, absolutely leaving our sin behind and saying, I'm done with it. I'm finished with it. We cannot judge what is truth by our experience. We judge what is truth by the word of God. And when the word of God tells us, I'll read it for you. This is First John, the first verses, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So if you have what they call a revival, and they're still walking in the darkness, and they have not repented of that wickedness, whether it be homosexuality, or theft, or pornography, or fornication or bitterness or anger or violence. If you walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's what happened at Azusa Street. They went into that experience praying specifically for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit based on a conviction of their hearts that they had repented of every known sin, that they were washed and made clean, that they were entirely sanctified before God, and there they cried out for the power of Pentecost. And they were unified in that cry. And God heard it and he answered them. You want revival? You're going to have to believe the same thing they believed at Azusa Street because it is the teaching of the New Testament. If we claim, verse 8, this is 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Who's he talking to? The Gnostics who claimed to be without sin and said they didn't need Jesus. But the next verse straightens it out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And that word forgive is ephemy, meaning remove. He will remove our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Don't tell me you can't be purified of all of your unrighteousness. The scriptures say you can be purified of all unrighteousness. But if you love the world, that's not going to happen. My dear children, chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Don't tell me, Pastor. We're always going to be sinners. We can't help ourselves. You're lying. You're going against the word of God. Oh, but Pastor, I've tried as hard as I could, and I could never overcome. That's because you were afraid and would not die. You would not be crucified with Jesus. It's time the American church is crucified and dies with Jesus. And either we're going to do it now in peacetime, or we're going to do it in desperate persecution, where if you continue to walk with one foot in the world and one foot with the devil and one foot in the church, you will die. You will be killed. And you'll go to hell. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked, that is, without sin before holy God. Do you see why I'm so upset? The command is do not love the world or anything in it. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm terrified for many of you. Why? Because you listen to this broadcast and then you say, but, but I, can't, I can't be washed clean. No, what you're saying is I don't want to be washed clean. What you're saying is I want to continue living the convenient American life and I don't want to inconvenience myself. I don't want to go all the way with Jesus. Now we go to the third chapter. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That is, he cuts off every evil thing. He turns the TV off. He turns aside from the games. He turns aside from the gambling. He turns aside from the sexual lust. He turns off the movies. He turns aside from every wicked thing of the world and will not participate in them. Oh, pastor, if I did that, nobody would accept me. Oh, now you're catching it. 
Is that what you want? To be loved and accepted by those who walk in wickedness? Or do you want to be loved and accepted by Jesus Christ? Are you wishy-washy? You go this way and that way? One day you want Jesus and the next day you want your alcohol? Really? One day you want Jesus and you're reading your Bible and and the next day you want to go out and party. Really? One day you love Jesus and the next day all you can think about is your money. Really? When are you going to make a decision to absolutely sell out Go where the Lord tells you to go. Do what the Lord tells you to do. And walk clean before him. Everyone, verse 4, this is chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So sin is voluntary. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil." Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. If you're continuing to walk halfway in the world and halfway in Jesus, if you're satisfied with some cheap little song ditty, it's an emotional deal for you. You're part of the devil's work. Verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Well, there you have it. I want you to be saved. But to be saved, you're going to have to meet the demands of Scripture. And it will be the work of Jesus in your life, giving to you the gift of righteousness, separating you from the world, separating you from your wickedness, cleansing and purifying you. It's going to require loud cries and weeping on your part before a holy and righteous God as you Cut yourself loose by the power of the blood of Jesus from every evil thing, every evil habit, every evil thought. You are to be made pure and clean. That's what happened at Azusa Street. That's not what's happening at this so-called revival in Kentucky. That's not what's happening. I want you to be saved. Lord, Lord Jesus, I've shared this word honestly. I've tried not to be condemning or contentious, but simply to share this is the straight word of the living God. 
And we live in a day of such deception and ignorance of what you desire, Jesus, because people don't read the scriptures. They sing little ditties. They make some pretense of repenting. But Lord, they're still playing footsies with the devil. Would you come in your mighty power? Would you change this, Jesus? Would you raise up a standard of righteousness in this land? Would you initiate salvation in this land? Would you bring true revival? Lord, I thank you. I love you. I trust you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, God bless you, my brother, my sister. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Thank you for listening to this. I pray you will do what the scriptures say and get right now with God. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. you from folly and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy.